showing up with us at Papa Church. We are so glad you are here. Uh, I'm Brandon. I'm the lead pastor here at the gathering. You guys ready to dive into the word? Come on, here we go. Turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians, that's New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. 1 Corinthians, y'all. Come on, I'm testing you today. All right, hey, actually, real quick, though, before we really dive in, while you're turning, I got two very exciting things I want to tell you all about. Um, the first one is that, I don't know if you guys know this, but did you know Halloween is on a Sunday this year? So, like, we're not, like, we're not, don't worry for the religious people, we're not going to celebrate Halloween at church, but we are going to make Halloween celebrate Jesus. All right, and so, um, here's what we're doing. Every year we do this series called At the Movies. We own a theater... And so we do this series where every year we, we, we take four Sundays and we watch clips from movies and then we talk about how it might just relate to what God does in his word, what he might want to do in his life, in our lives. And so on Halloween Sunday, we are kicking it off, our four-week at the movies series. Oh, man, we're doing all 80s movies, y'all. It's going to be so good. We're, start, we're starting with Ghostbusters on Halloween Sunday. Don't be scared. Like, it's going to be good, all right? There's going to be free popcorn and pop every Sunday. And, and every year, this is, like, such a great opportunity to invite people to church. Okay, so we'll have invite, invite cards available next week. Man, just start thinking about who needs to be at church. This is, like, the perfect opportunity to invite them. I think we're going we're gonna to do Ghostbusters, Back to the Future. Yes. Oh, gosh, Karate Kid. Yes. And then uh, Indiana Jones. Y'all, it's going to be good, all right? Um, here's the other crazy exciting thing uh, that's going to happen along with that. Starting Halloween Sunday, we're actually going to have new service times. Check this out. We're going to move our services. Right now we have a 9, 15, and 11. I know it's 10 a.m. right here at Pop-Up. But we're going to do 9 and 10.30 a.m. 9 and 10.30 a.m. All right, here's what's been happening over the last couple of years. Man, we just noticed people are gravitating more and more to our 9.15 service. And then the other thing that's happening is, how many guys know we're, like, we're getting ready with that kids' building? They are moving in that kids' building. We're about to have more kids than ever in our kids' building next door, which also means, man, we're going to have more of us, like, helping in our kids' building as well. And so we just want to make it as easy as possible. Well, not necessarily as easy as possible. I mean, we want, we want to still invest and, and, and just do the church, like, the way it needs to be done. But so 9 a.m. and 10.30 means we're going to have one-hour services. One-hour services, 9 to 10, and then 10.30 to 11.30. And we're going to keep rolling. We're going to keep making more and more room for people to show up. Amen? Amen? Come on. Man, I'm excited about this. All right? So next Sunday, though, what we're still meeting at 9.15 and 11. The following Sunday after that, we're still meeting at 9.15 and 11. You with me? And then Halloween Sunday, first Sunday at the movies, 9 and 10.30 a.m. Look out, somebody. Amen. Come on, here we go. All right. You guys ready for the word then? Here we go. Church in the Wild. We are going to finish up our Church in the Wild series we have been in because we've been in this series because it's getting wild out there. And so we've been looking at scriptures in Matthew 24 where Jesus tells us about some wild things that are going to happen leading up to the end or just before he returns. And so, for example, he says in Matthew 24, 
verse 10, he says, at that time, meaning at the end, when he's about to return, at that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Don't think just like false prophets, like somebody standing in a pulpit. Think like people with platforms and loud voices that get to tell people throughout the world, like this is the way you should live. They'll appear and deceive many people. Um, because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. All right, so we have looked at these scriptures every Sunday in this series so far. Um, but today I want you to notice something. In fact, I really want you to notice two things, all right? First off, notice how these scriptures or these verses that Jesus just spoke, notice how it deals with the way people are going to relate to each other as the end draws near. He says that people are going to betray and hate each other and their love for others will grow cold okay would you agree with me that hatred and betrayal and like no love at all i mean that makes for the most terrible of relationships is that right like if your goal is to be miserable and lonely in life then the best thing you could do is like start hating and betraying the people you're in a relationship with while you give them one of those frigid just ice cold I don't love you and I hope you get run over by a bus kind of stares. How many of you have ever been stared at, stared, by, stared at by somebody like that? How many of you are good at staring at people like that? That's, yeah, we got this thing called freedom gathering. Might just help you out. Okay, look. Here's the second thing I want you to notice about these scriptures. If you really hone in on it, Jesus is actually saying that this is how many church people are going to treat each other as the end draws near. Because think about it. Here's how he started it. He said that many will turn from the faith. And then they're going to start relating to each other in these terrible ways. Well, hmm, if someone's going to turn away from the faith, then am I wrong? I think they would have to be a person of faith to begin with, right? Family, he's talking about church people here, people who would have said that they have put their faith in Jesus, People who would have said they loved God, and therefore out of their love for God, they have loved others as well. But according to Jesus, they are going to turn and hate and betray and stop loving. He's talking about church people. Okay, because listen, there's no question that the world is going to treat each other this way as things keep going on. Because the world already treats each other this way. I mean, it's been going on throughout the whole age. So Jesus is saying to us, look out. Heads up. Guard your own heart. Keep an eye on yourselves so that you and I do not become these church people. Amen? 
You see, family, you and I are still living in what we would biblically call the church age. Okay, Now, many well-known pastors and scholars are beginning to say more and more that we are probably living at the, the, the edge of the very end of the church age. And according to the Bible, the world will only get more and more wild. And then church people, according to Jesus, are going to turn away from the faith and hate and betray each other. Then the church age will end. Then there's going to be a brief period on the earth where their world gets wild together. And then Jesus will return. Okay, so what do we do as Jesus followers now? We just, do we just call it a day? And we can't control the other way people are going to act. We just move on. We just try to keep to ourselves. Try to huddle up. Just look out for just us. No, listen to me. There's only one choice. If you and I would say that we are committed to Jesus, then the only choice is that you and I remain, remain relationally committed to each other and we be the church in the wild. And look, maybe we're still a long ways off from when Jesus will return. But these signs that Jesus mentioned, they are happening. And what's more, they are happening more and more on a global scale. The world is getting wilder and wilder by the day together. Which is why Jesus specifically said in Matthew 24, verse 13, that, okay, all these wild things are going to happen. But the one who stands firm. Listen, the church people that don't turn away from the faith. The church people who remain relationally committed to one another. The one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And so let me just remind us all right now, the whole point of this series is that God wants you and me relationally committed to to our, to his church family. That's been the whole point, that he really, he wants you and me to have really, really, really good friends in church to where they start becoming our best friends in life to where we all start doing life together like we're family, the family of God. Okay, which does lead me to this. Um, I do want to say, man, I am so proud of you gathering family. Man, this last week, after a year and a half, of crazy interruption, we relaunched our neighborhood gatherings. Those are like our small groups around here. We relaunched our freedom gatherings. We even launched this new young adults group called 1829. And man, from what I've heard, people have shown up. And then I've been getting just crazy good feedback from people who were involved in those things before the interruption, and even from new people who've shown up for the first time. Sounds like it's been a pretty good week, y'all. Man, I'm proud of you. So thank you so much. And hey, if you are new, if, if like this, for example, with neighborhood gathering, maybe this was your first time to show up to a neighborhood gathering this week, um, here's what I'd say. Man, keep showing up. Okay, because I know this. We, we all know this. Like, it can be a little awkward, and it can be a little intimidating to show up to somebody's house and knock on their door while you're holding a crock pot full of mashed potatoes, and you've never been in their house before. I know, we know that, okay? All right, but... With any relationship, like if you just keep showing up and keep investing more time, 
the relationships start to go deeper, right? Come on, the awkwardness disappears. So, man, this is why I always say, for those who commit, you will find your relationships are going to go deep together. The awkwardness will disappear, and you will find yourself being family together. And so I'm really proud of you, okay? And, listen, I just can't wait for everything that God is going to do in you and through you and in me and through me and in us together as a church family as we remain relationally committed to each other. Which is actually what I really believe God wants to talk to us all about today. Listen, what's God going to do in and through your life over, let's say, even just the course of the next year? As you remain relationally committed to him and relationally committed to your church family. I want you to know what you have to look forward to. Okay, however, here's how I'm going to frame this conversation, okay? So just follow me. If we're going to commit to stepping in to more and more of what God has for us, let's say over the next year, if we're going to do that, Okay, then I'm going to say it again. I'm going to keep, keep using this word. Commitment is key if we're going to commit. <laughs> if we're going to step into more and more of what God has for us, being committed relationally to him and to each other is going to be key. Amen? We've been saying that all throughout this series. It's like we said last week. We, the church, we can provide the steps, but that commitment part is a choice that you and I all have to make. Okay, actually, we, we saw this last week in the book of Acts, that devotion or a passionate commitment, that's actually what God begins to work through. Or when we make a devotion to him and to his people, God begins to, God can work. On the other side of that, God can begin to show up and move in our lives in powerful ways. Okay, so here we go. If commitment is required then, then what are the things that keep us from committing? Okay, I just want us to be open and honest and talk about the things that interfere with our ability to commit. Let's talk about them. Let's talk about how we overcome them so that we can overcome and commit and continue to step into what God has for us. Amen? Okay, so last Sunday, we talked about probably the biggest thing that interferes with our ability to commit. We talked about how we are pros at committing to self instead of relationally committing to others. How, how we are just pros at commitment to how we feel, what we want, when we want it, on our time, our preferences, the things that we like, but how if we're more committed to self than we are to each other and Jesus, come on, then those commitments to ourself are going to actually interfere or interrupt our ability to commit to Jesus. Amen? Okay. So, y'all ready to hit what I believe is the second biggest thing that interferes with our ability to commit? Okay, here it is. We now live in a culture that fears committing to relationships. One more time, you listen. We now live in a culture that fears committing to relationships. Family, we have all been taught to fear making relational commitments to someone else. Tell me I'm wrong about that. 
Think about it. I'll give you an example. Okay, and look, with what I'm about to say, I'm going to say this with so much grace um, because I, I know this. And many of us, for a long time, we've been taught way more what culture would tell us to do than we've been taught what Jesus would tell us to do. So I've got nothing but grace. You hear me? All right? But so, and welcome home, everyone, no matter where you're at, what you've came from. But listen, many people today, here's an example, um, they don't want to commit to get married. They, they would like to live together and enjoy all the benefits of being married without actually having to make vows to one another. They don't actually want to commit to the relationship. And look, I know that there are reasons for that. Okay, and we're going to talk about those. But come on. We live in a culture today that wants to test everything out first to make sure it feels good for us, to make sure it meets all of our own personal needs the way we feel like they should be met. We want to know that on the front side. And listen, that includes doing that with the relationships. If the relationship or the friendship or if the employer or the team or the church and on and on and on, if that relationship isn't meeting our own personal needs the way we feel that they should be met, then we quickly move on and try to get those needs met by someone or something else. Amen? And so I'm going to say something strong. Listen, when we do that, when we live that way, that's actually just another form of commitment to self. We're really still just in it for ourselves. But that's not all. Um, When we do that and when we do move on, typically that's also a form of betrayal. Because oftentimes the other person in the relationship that we moved on from, they were under the the impression that we were committed to them. So listen to me. Any one-sided relationship where someone is just in it to get their own needs met at the cost of the other person that is not a relationship, that's called a transaction. That's called a commitment to yourself at the expense of the other person. Which means this, real, healthy, authentic relationships require commitments from both people in the relationship, meaning commitments to each other, not just commitments to themselves, which here's what I'm trying to say, family. If we're going to do what God is telling all of us to do and commit ourselves relationally to each other, then that means a commitment is required from you and from me. And yet, that's the dilemma. Because many people today fear committing to relationships. But listen to me, first off, here's why that's so dangerous. 
Okay, because think about it. What does fear typically stir up within us? Actually, let me say it this way. Um, what kind of emotions and what kind of actions does fear typically stir up within us? Yeah, come on. Typically, it stirs up anger and frustration. And then when it comes to actions, oftentimes it, it results in hiding and isolation. We, fear, we, we hide from the things that we fear, but it usually doesn't stop there. Listen, if those things continue, then oftentimes if we're not careful, careful, we will actually end up hating the very things that we fear. And listen, come on. If, if you think for a second that church people are immune to this kind of thing, then wake up and smell the coffee. Amen? Come on, we, we can all get stuck in these things, okay? But, but it means this. If you and I allow our fear, that kind of fear of relational commitment to go unchecked in our lives, if we never become the kind of faithful Jesus followers that actually commit ourselves relationally to Jesus and to his church family, then not only will we struggle to stand firm as the world gets wilder, but will also remain in danger of actually becoming the very church people that Jesus was talking about who turn away and begin to hate and betray each other. All as a result of fear to commit ourselves relationally. Are you seeing this? Okay. But why do we fear committing ourselves relationally then? Why do we do that? Okay, well, I said a minute ago that there are reasons. All right, and here's why. Because first off, like we said last week, listen, we've all been taught by culture that we are to prioritize number one and, and, and commit to ourselves above all else. And so then we can fear that if we really commit to someone else, then they might actually interfere with what we feel we want the most in life. Okay, that, that's the first part of it. But also, here's the other reason we fear committing to relationships. Because we've all been hurt by someone who we thought we were supposed to be committed to, and they were supposed to be committed to us. Well, in fact, many of us, have actually been hurt by others who were supposed to be relationally committed to us. I'm talking about parents, spouses, friends, teachers, coaches, pastors. They were supposed to be committed relationally to us, but then they moved on. And now we try to protect ourselves by withholding our commitments because we think it's going to hurt less if we get in a relationship and there's no commitment. We think it's going to hurt less than if there's no commitment when the relationship falls apart. Amen. And so again, though, family, that's a dangerous path for any of us to stay on based on what Jesus 
has said is going to happen one day. But if we are committed to Jesus, if that's who we'd say we are, then it's also a harmful path for us to stay on right now because as committed followers of Jesus, you and I are called to commit ourselves relationally to others the same way Jesus does. And so what's going to happen to us and others if we continue to not step into the call that God has on our lives? And so can I just help us understand and expand our understanding of what it really means to be relationally committed to others? Okay, listen to me. When we use the phrase relational commitment, and honestly, man, I hope some of you just start getting ahead of me on this. When we use that phrase, relational commitment, honestly, in many ways, it's really just another way of saying Love. Actually, like we said last week, I think love could almost be defined as a commitment with passion. And so you and I are called to love others, hey, especially each other in the body of Christ. We are called to love others others the way Jesus loves us and the way Jesus love loves others. Think about this. Jesus was betrayed and hated and very much not loved even by the ones who were supposed to love him. And yet he still loves And then if we can be honest, you and I have all treated him in those ways too. And yet he still loves us. He remains passionately committed to you and to me. Family, I don't know if you realize this, but the very world that he created rages against him in hatred and betrayal and with zero love all day every day, and yet he is still, he has done, and he is still doing everything he can to invite the whole world to be relationally committed to him as he's relationally committed to them. If you've been with the gathering for a while, um, then you may know we actually have a definition for the word love here at the gathering, and it's a very biblical definition. I'll show you that in just a moment, but this is the way we say it. It's going to be up on the screens. We say that love is wanting the highest good for others and being willing to do your part to see it come to pass, even though it costs you something. One more time. Love is wanting the highest good for others and being willing to do your part to see it come to pass, even though it costs you something, okay? Help me out. Is that not the way that Jesus has loved and still loves us to this day? I mean, come on. Jesus has only ever wanted the highest good for us, which is committed relationship between him and us. And so he did his part to see that that could come to pass, even though it cost him everything. Come on, Jesus went to the cross and died for you and me so that our sins could be forgiven, so that we might be in a committed relationship with Jesus and the Father, an eternal relationship with them, 
which is the very thing that we are precisely created for in the first place. So again, I believe that's a biblical definition that we have. But good news. The Bible also defines love thoroughly as well. Listen to me. If the day is coming when the love of most is going to grow cold, this right here is going to show us what they're going to miss out on. And this right here is going to show you and me what we cannot give up. This is a relational commitment that we're going to see right here. If you got your Bibles open to 1 Corinthians 13, I'm going to read verses 4 through 7. Paul writes and he says, Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable. Watch this. And it keeps no record of being wronged. This isn't saying that nobody ever gets wronged. Saying it just doesn't keep a little tally of it all over here. Doesn't doesn't bust out the, the list of the wrongs at the right time. It doesn't hold a grudge. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Verse 7, love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. Because it's a passionate commitment. This is what Jesus is like, family. And it's who you and I are called to be as well. This, this is the church in the wild right here. People who are passionately committed to relationship with Jesus and each other and to helping our world get passionately committed to Jesus and each other, no matter what until the day he returns. And so, here's the big question. How do we overcome the cultural fear of committing to relationships? How do we do that? Okay, listen. It starts with you and me making a real commitment to Jesus. I am not talking about casual Christianity. I am not talking about when it's convenient and when it's comfortable and when it works out. And No, I'm talking about this is number one priority in your life. It starts with you and me making a relational commitment to Jesus. And then when we're relationally committed to Jesus, it means he's Lord and it means we do what he says. And I will not apologize for that. 
best thing that's ever happened to my life. Best thing that will ever happen to your life. And everything he ever tells you to do will be the next best thing that ever happens in your life. So if we're relationally committed to Jesus and we want to get over the fear of committing to others relationally, then here's the next thing we do. We do what he tells us to do and we relationally commit to each other as the church family. Now, Jesus will never move on from you. He will never let you down. Okay. But I will admit, there is some risk involved in relationally committing yourself to other humans who are not Jesus. Because there is a chance at some point that they still may just move on from you. There is a chance at some point that they will let you down. But the opposite is true too. There's a good chance that you and I might just move on from them at some point. Or that you and I might let them down. Amen? Okay, but here's why it's so powerful to start with committing relationally to your church family. Because if they're truly committed to following Jesus, then you can surround yourself with, in relationships with people who are also then committed in growing in their ability to love others the way Jesus does. Okay, and so when you find yourself then surrounded by a church family like that who's committed relationally to Jesus and growing in their ability to remain committed relationally to church family, then I'm telling you, you can find yourself being with a family who really is the church in the wild. Look, I'm not saying it's going to be perfect. Okay, but when they do let you down, and come on, they will. When they do let you down, if they're truly committed to relating to others the way Jesus does, then they will repent and ask for forgiveness when they fail in their relational commitment to you. Okay, but also, it means when you fail in your relational commitment to them, because you're also growing in your ability to relate to others the way Jesus does, it means you'll then repent and ask for forgiveness when you fail in your relational commitment to them as well. Amen? And even in those moments where you're waiting on repentance from them, you can still act like Jesus and give them grace. Just like you would hope that maybe you, maybe you let them down and you're blind to it, you had no idea. Just like you would hope that they would be giving you grace on the other side. Amen? Because get this, listen, repentance and asking for forgiveness from others and giving grace and forgiveness to others, those are powerful ways of actually demonstrating your relational commitment to them. Okay, family, honestly, they're a powerful expression of love for others, and it's exactly how Jesus loves you and me. Listen, he has nothing that he needs to repent for, but out of his love, and his passionate commitment to you and me, he is always ready to give grace and forgiveness. 
I'm going to invite Jordan to make his way up here to play some keys for us. And so, gathering family, listen, just back to the beginning here. What's God going to do in you over the course of, let's say, even just the next year? As you commit yourself relationally to him, relationally to him and relationally to others, what's he going to do? Okay, listen to me. He's going to make you more like Jesus. He's going to help you love God, live free, and make disciples more and more. You're going to grow in your relationship with God. You're going to begin to love him more. You're going to start finding yourself living more and more free from your yesterdays, and you'll be more and more able to step into what God has for you today. And I guarantee as you're surrounded by the church in the wild, as you're a part of the family, you will find yourself making disciples more and more. He's going to make you like him. He's going to make you the church in this wild world. I've been saying all throughout this series that if you and I are not just going to survive, but if we're actually going to thrive in this wild world, then we need to be surrounded by and we need to be supported by a tribe. Family, if you want to continue to work your way through this wild world without a tribe, you're going to find yourself defenseless. If you want to try to work your way through the world with zero commitments to others relationally, especially in the body of Christ, you're going to have a hard time standing firm. But you're going to find yourself, here's another way of saying that, just defenseless. We need each other. Listen, what's God going to do? He's going to surround you with the tribe, but he's also going to make you the tribe for others as well. Living more and more like Jesus in relationship with others who are living more and more like Jesus. That's what it takes for you and me to thrive in this wild world, which means, church family, you and I need each other. I said this in week one of this series that, listen, God works. He has chosen to work through his church in the lives of others here on earth. And so here's what I've come to discover all too well in my years of following Jesus, that I need God to continue to work in my life through his church. If it were not for passionate, loving, grace-filled, forgiving, powerful accountability in my life, with good relationships with church people, then I'd probably crash and burn and I'd go back to my wild ways.
oftentimes those are the only way churches are able to relationally connect with each other. Oftentimes in secret, because they're not allowed to gather publicly because of their nation's hatred for Jesus. Which means this right now, we are still extremely blessed. We're out in the middle of the city, in the middle of the town, lifting up God, praising him, speaking his word. Who knows how many people are hearing this? We are blessed, amen? But let's not take it for granted. Churches, you and me. Jesus has given us each other to be in committed relationships as we follow him together because here's what he does. He works through us in your life to help you thrive just like he works through you in our lives to help us thrive as well. Okay, so what's he going to do? Family, he's going to make you and me more like Jesus as we remain relationally committed to him and to each other. He is going to make us the church in this wild world. And so, Connect starts again next Sunday. If you're new here, you've never been to Connect, or, or you've never known what it looks like to relationally connect with a church family, then you are invited to show up next Sunday at 11 a.m. at Norm's Coffee Bar to begin discovering what that looks like to get relationally connected here at the gathering. We say welcome home. Okay, but many of you are also in freedom gatherings now or you're also in neighborhood gatherings now. And so listen, one more time. For those who commit... You will find yourself, over the course of this next year even, you will find yourself loving God, living free, and making disciples more and more. You will find yourself surrounded by the family of God. You will find yourself being the family of God to others who need it. And together you will be the church in this wild world. I want you to bow your heads close your eyes. Let's pray together. Come on, what's the Holy Spirit saying to you today? The band's going to come up here in just a moment and we're going to sing together. And man, I'd, I'd invite our time of seeing, our time of singing to be part of our response to God and even our prayer to Him. Listen, I'll just, I don't think I'm stepping on God's toes or getting in the way. I, I know this. He wants, here's what he wants, is for you and me to be relationally committed to the church family. And so here's my prayer for all of us, and I would pray that this would be your prayer today, where you would pray and make the decision, Jesus, I am committing myself to your family. Jesus, I am relationally committing myself to you. If you haven't given your life to Jesus, 
that today's the day, right now, even in this moment, you can tell him, Jesus, I am giving my life into your hands. I commit myself to you. I want to follow you all the days of my life. Jesus says when we do that, we become a brand new creation. And we enter into a relationship, eternal relationship with him and the Father. So start there. But come on, right now, family, let's all of us together. I would encourage you to pray. God, I am